So much of life is simply about showing up and sticking it out. This idea is especially true for entrepreneurs who often experience more hard days than easy ones. But the resiliency to get through those hard times doesn't always come naturally. It's learned. And for someone like Steve Denton, that resiliency has been put to the test time and time again. And it started early on. We ran out of money. We couldn't make payroll. I didn't take a check for like a month and a half. Many of the leaders didn't. And we had overstaffed to go public. We were going to run out of money. We weren't going to make payroll. And we did layoff, and that's brutal for everybody. We got through it, but we almost lost it in the course of like two, three weeks. And that was my introduction to entrepreneurs. With an introduction like that, most people would say, thank you very much, turn around and run the other way. But Steve had learned that he simply couldn't do that. He had built up his ability to adapt, overcome, and to be accountable. Today, he's the CEO of where to go an on-demand fulfillment and warehousing company majority owned by UPS. But who was Steve before? And how did he work out that resiliency muscle to make it strong enough to endure the hard things he faced? Let's get into it right here on The Journey. There are always exciting things happening in the world of small business. The news that grabs the headlines, though, are always the highlights, the overnight successes, the billion-dollar IPOs, the massive exits. But just like your Instagram feed, that's never the whole story. Let's look deeper than the headlines and press photos. Underneath all of that is the real work of building something valuable and lasting. Don't get me wrong, I love crazy success stories and can be drawn in by those big flashy tales just as much as the next person. But we all know that what's more important than the destination is how you get there. It's the struggles you have to overcome and the insights you learn along the way that make you who you are. So those are the stories we're telling. It's raw, it's honest, and maybe it's exactly what you need to hear. I'm Hillary Georgie, and this is The Journey. Where to Go is on a mission to simplify the supply chain and help businesses of all sizes compete and win. If you are ready to scale your supply chain and get your product in the hands of your customers in one to two days, visit wheretogo.com to get started. That's W-A-R-E, the number two, G-O, dot com. Where to Go is a UPS company, and this season of The Journey is brought to you by UPS. Sometimes we dream about a life without consequences, a world where we can make decisions and not have to deal with the aftermath. If that world existed, what would you do? How would your behavior change? What kind of person would you be? Steve Denton lived in that kind of world for a while, and that experience forced him to learn skills that turned him into the leader he is today. My dad was in the military 27 years, and we moved around. I went to five different high schools. Think about that first day of school, you're in a brand new school and you go to lunch and you got your tray and you're looking out across the cafeteria and you don't know a soul and you've got to go sit somewhere. That's a jarring moment. And I got to experience that five times. Moving from one town to the next and one school to another had its pros and cons. So the upside is when you're always new, you learn to make friends pretty fast and size people up pretty quick. 
through trial and error, you're going to make some good decisions and bad decisions. It's just like as you go, as you get in your career, you start interviewing people and you make that first assumption and it's proven out to be wrong. I was doing that seven times over seven years in different places of this world. On the downside, for me personally, you're not really accountable for your actions long term. You go into a place and you're going to be moving in eight, nine months. So that accountability for yourself and for your actions, and I don't mean in a really bad way, but you're moving. You're not living with that other than with yourself. So it becomes really about self-accountability because you don't have a community other than your family that are going to be holding you accountable for what you talked about a year ago because you're not going to be there. And you have to develop that. And that's where you get that lesson of hard knocks. It wasn't until his senior year of high school that Steve started to employ more self-discipline and self-accountability. He began implementing a say-do ratio to understand what he was promising to others and how he delivered. And all the while, Steve was tapping into the upside he mentioned, and he began to find his way through unfamiliar territory. This was especially useful when Steve got his first taste of the workforce as an account manager and sales rep for Pepsi. The first lesson I learned and the first thing I think I did that was really pivotal was when you're a sales rep for Pepsi, you're basically selling to grocery stores. And selling to grocery stores really means selling to the back manager who's going to give you more pallets to put in there because the price is set by the national account pricing strategy. And it's just really hard when you have 80 of these stores, Hillary, to merchandise them every day and somebody's first and someone's last, which means someone's happy and someone's upset. And then you got the people in the store asking where the bread is, like you work there, and it just takes forever to do anything. And then you end up a mess all day because you have soda spilled all over you. So you don't even get to have a professional conversation dressed like a professional. So I just started working at night. I just flipped the script and said, you know, I'm going to work these stores at night. They're either 24-7 or they got stock boys or stock people. I'm going to ask permission to do it. So I was able to do my job in half the time. When my eight store managers came in, their Pepsi section was perfect. When they walk their store at 7.30 in the morning, that Pepsi section is perfect. And then I'm home sleeping. And then I would get up and I'd put on a suit or something decent. And I would go out and visit my store managers and do that. And they just saw me in a different light because I was taking care of them. They didn't have any issues. And then I started being able to get incremental displays, incremental space, incremental pallet locations. And my numbers went through the roof. And it wasn't because I was a spectacular salesperson who was a good talker and could do feature benefit statements. I was just doing it different than other people. And it was the lesson I learned, which is, hey, I might not be able to do it better than you, but I can probably do it different than you. That's Steve's unique selling proposition, which separates successful entrepreneurs from those who try and fail. For Steve, his differentiator was his ability to turn into something new, observe, and then to stick it out and thrive in a new way. Steve remained in the corporate world for a while, working for big organizations and managing various locations. He adapted to each new locale and helped those employees become their best. But outside forces were tugging him to go in a new direction, to pursue entrepreneurship. I probably would have stayed there, except for the fact that there were two things that were going on in 1999. The internet is blowing up in a good way. And I'm starting to see this shift in sales and packages and stuff that are going to residential versus business because of the internet. They called them web sales back then. I started to see this and I started to see our business shift a little bit. My wife, who's my biggest supporter and a great partner, is pushing me to do more. She's like, you can do more. You should be doing more. And that's really critical. And then I met a brother and sister, Stephen and Heidi Messer. And I met them and they told me about a business they had started, which essentially was like commission-based sales online. 
So back in 1999, when you made an internet buy, an ad buy, it was called a portal buy. And you just bought this huge spend across AOL or any of the portals was what they were called at the time. And that was your spend. And their whole concept was, you've got all of these websites out there that want to work with companies like Walmart and Disney and folks like that, but they're not big enough to get ad dollars. But let's put them together through a common technology platform. And if someone clicks through that ads and buys something, they'll earn a commission. It's just commission-based sales online. Today, that's called performance-based marketing or affiliate marketing. In fact, it's the basis for Google AdSense. But back in 1999, it didn't exist. And they had invented it. They had a patent for it. It sounded fascinating to me. The prospect of this new venture was exciting. But Steve still had his doubts. He needed one more nudge. And I just took a chance. My wife said, Steve, you got a good enough resume and background. You can take a chance. And if it doesn't work out, you'll have no problem getting a job. This is New York City. It's the best city, the biggest city. Go do it. That was the leaping off point. Steve joined the team at LinkShare. And for three months, things were going great until they weren't. If you remember back then, the internet collapsed in 2000. It was a burst. Oh, my goodness. Everything had high valuations at the time. It was all about stock options. It was all about valuations, right? The market collapses. Our customers stop paying their bills. We've stacked up to go public or sale. We're running a dual path. We ran out of money. We couldn't make payroll. I didn't take a check for like a month and a half. Many of the leaders didn't. And we had overstaffed to go public. We were going to run out of money. We weren't going to make payroll. And we did layoff and that's brutal for everybody. We got through it and we sold that company for half a billion dollars in 2005. But we almost lost it in the course of like two, three weeks. And that was my introduction to entrepreneurs. So what kept Steve going? How did he stay committed to Linkshare, even though he had other options? And how did Steve keep evolving from there? Find out after this break. Hey, Journey fans, this season is sponsored by UPS, and where to go is a UPS company. Did you know that when you partner with where to go you can grow your sales by two to three times just by getting your product to your customers more quickly? where to go offers distributed warehousing and order fulfillment, meaning your inventory can be spread out across the U.S. If you are ready to grow your business with faster fulfillment, visit wheretogo.com to set up a quick consultation. That's W-A-R-E, the number two, G-O dot com. When we left, Steve Denton had finally made the leap into entrepreneurship, and the landing wasn't exactly a smooth one. The company he joined, Linkshare, had to navigate its way through the dot-com bust, and Steve, just three months into this adventure was somehow sticking with it, trying to get the company back on track. It was about three months in before it was, okay, I don't know if we're gonna make payroll, we need to lay off half the staff, and we need to think of a new way of doing business, and we need to retrench. So three months of that, then three months of really hard, gritty work, doing some uncomfortable things, and getting leaner and tighter and disciplined, and watching people leave. Because when you lay off people, they're not the only people that leave. When you say, hey, we want to lay off the bottom 10%, well, there's another 10% that are going to go with them. So you deal with that. But we came out of it better, stronger, more disciplined, more rigorous. And it propelled us to great 
accomplishments. But Hillary, it's because we had great people, really smart leadership team, a really great product, and candidly, a commitment to each other and to our customers and their clients to not fail. That got us through. That really is leading directly to the next question I want to ask you, which is, why didn't you cut and run? You weren't tied to this company for very long. It's not like you had founded this company. So what kept you there helping to right the ship? It wasn't that I had no place else to go, but I had no place else I wanted to be. Stephen and Heidi Messer are dear friends of mine to this day. It's hard to find mentors that are younger than you. And they taught me so much about it. I was committed to them as leaders. I was committed to the leadership team. And I was committed to the people who stayed, the people that we were rallying around with, and our customers who rallied with us. And I was committed to that. That was three months of goodness, three months of badness. We saw a light at the end of the tunnel. And then once you saw the light, there was hope. And then once you saw hope, you were able to start moving forward. And you don't have to climb the staircase today. You just got to take a step. And it became about taking that step every day. It kind of brings me back to what you had said earlier about learning accountability. I think maybe the younger Steve wouldn't have had the accountability to say, hey, you know, I'm going to stay here. Probably not. I think learning those lessons really probably helped you battle through this. At least that's what I'm picking up. You could tell me I'm wrong. It's your couch. You're the psychiatrist. Let's be very clear. I am not a psychiatrist, but I've been in therapy and interviewed enough business leaders to know how to identify patterns of behavior, both good and bad. And clearly, Steve had learned valuable lessons in his formative years that he was using to navigate the choppy waters of entrepreneurship. After Linkshare made it through its tough stretch, it was acquired by Rakuten. Once the acquisition was complete, Steve was promoted to president of Linkshare. In this role, he was reminded of his younger self, the kid in the cafeteria looking for a place to sit and striving to fit in. It was such an honor to come up through the ranks there as an executive and then get the opportunity to lead it. It was really challenging because now you're moving into an entrepreneur world. Now you're the president CEO job. So now there's different muscle. I had to take these executive level classes in financial management just to get up to speed on that because it wasn't a discipline. I mean, I knew what balance sheets were and all of that stuff, but it's a whole different roadshow there when you're the CEO and the president and you've got a CFO working for you. So I was fortunate in the sense that I had the customer facing side of the business well under control. I had to go build muscle on the technology side. I had to go build my own personal muscle on the finance side and the legal side. The people side, I always felt like I had a good handle on it, but at the same time, it goes to a whole new level. So I personally had to go build some muscle that I didn't have to have previously because I didn't oversee those types of functions in the organization. And that was an investment I had to make in a lot of hours and time. Steve learned a lot in those years as an executive, and he took those lessons along when he ventured out again into the land of entrepreneurship. After Linkshare, Steve had a few other stops on his journey. He worked at two separate companies that didn't make it, another company that was acquired by eBay, and then into the world of AI and B2B sales. Steve was finally enjoying some success and would have been happy to stay put. Then he heard about a new company called where to go and he was intrigued. Steve explained it like this. You think about Uber or you think about Airbnb. So instead of connecting people who need rides with people who have cars or people who want to stay in 
great places with people who want to rent rooms or houses. There's a network of warehouses out there that have capabilities, capacity, and placement that have excess capacity who need customers. And then we put a common technology platform in there. So think about them like the Uber drivers. We sell merchants, mostly in the mid-sized merchants, small to mid-sized merchants who want to offer a Amazon-like prime experience to their consumers by having a to be able to ship two days ground footprint to you. They shouldn't be building their own warehouses. They shouldn't be signing five-year contracts. They don't have access to the technology. They need to leverage a model like ours. And I thought it was a very underserved market. And I knew it was really disruptive. So that's what we do. We connect merchants with warehouses to a common technology platform so they can offer a two-day fulfillment platform. I had spent 20 years of my career leveling the playing field on the digital side so merchants of all sizes could compete and win. And look, you have different budgets, but the platforms are available. Email, search, social, affiliate. I'd done all that. That playing field was level. But when it came to supply chain, the ability to get products from sale to the consumer, that playing field is not level. Enterprise wins. Enterprise has an unfair advantage. The small to mid-sized merchant does not have the ability to do that on their own in an economical way. I looked at that and said, man, this is really disruptive. This is an underserved market. This is something that could just change the way these small to mid-sized merchants can actually compete and win. And it was something I cared about. But where to go had something else going for it too. The company had big time support from a major organization. Where to go was on its way, but it had one big seat to fill. UPS is the primary stakeholder in where to go. It came out of an incubation lab at UPS. Big companies do this all the time. Good big companies do this all the time. They invest in intellectual property. They want employees to, to do patents. They want to build up that muscle. And then they have innovation labs or concept to code. There's all kinds of things to do. And the concept of where to go came out of 200 ideas that were submitted at UPS years and years ago on this would be a really interesting business. And it was one of two that got to the next level. So we incorporated middle of March, 2018, got an MVP product together, cobbled it together, went to market, and commercially launched the business in 2019. 2019, business got some traction. They realized they needed a CEO. Steve was the man for the job. He was ready to make his next big move and adapt to a new environment one more time. And there was a lot to work out. I showed up here in February of 2020. And the first thing I saw, because it didn't have a CEO in its first year, you really had four executive leaders who were brought in to build functions. The CTO built the technology, the sales leader built the sales engine, the service leader, the ops, and there was no CEO. And there's this great saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Well, I saw fast. So I felt like I walked in and it's like, wow, I've got like four different companies here. I've got my tech company and I've got my go-to-market company and I got my services company. First thing we had to do was break down some barriers because these guys and gals had done a really great job and gone fast, but we needed to go far. We were past the point of going alone. Steve took a look at his options and rather than sit at one table in this new cafeteria, he brought the teams together to create an inclusive space where everyone was welcome. Steve helped where to go nearly double its employee count so the company could grow and adapt in an environment that was constantly changing. Steve wants his team to have resiliency and accountability, 
So he's creating a space where they can work out those muscles. I'm really excited about some of our new products and some of our new technologies that we've got coming out and leveraging our partner strategy. Partner strategies for the entrepreneurs that are listening, partners enable you to grow a lot faster and partners enable you to get out of all that hand-to-hand combat. And you don't start there. You normally start hand-to-hand combat. Like I got reps and they call on people and they do this. But when you start enabling partners to sell for you and service for you and take you to market, you get exponential lift. But to do that, you've got to technologically enable those partners. So I'm very excited about that work we've been doing and bringing new products to the market. And then the second thing that I'm really excited about is just our team in general. We've had the opportunity as we've grown to bring new leaders into this organization, to bring more talent in, to uplift some of our current talent. And I tell this people all the time, I feel this way about our talent. I don't know what your upside is, but I sure as heck want to put you in an environment so we can see what it is. And that excites me and energizes me as a leader to do that with our team across our level is just the talent themselves and enable them to be their best. And I don't know what their upside is, but I sure as heck want to see, and I want to put them in an environment where they can achieve it. To be your best, it takes a lot of hard work. It requires accountability, resiliency, and a willingness to learn and adapt so that you can stand your ground through the good and bad times. But what is the secret to reaching the point where you can see the end state and know that it's worth sticking it out to get there? Plot twist. You can never see that point. That's what resiliency is all about. Resiliency is not knowing what's coming, but forging ahead anyway. For the entrepreneurs or the intrapreneurs that are listening, I would just say to you, and you know this, you got hard days, got tough days, probably have more tough days than easy days. Honestly, you don't have to climb that whole staircase today. You just got to take a step. And you might not even be able to see the top of that staircase, but you got to take that step. Steve Denton learned to step into the unknown at an early age, holding a new cafeteria tray in a new school every year. He learned resiliency by sticking it out through the worst days in his company's history. By climbing the executive ladder, Steve discovered what it takes to lead and to get the best out of himself and his team. He didn't know his journey would lead him to this point, and he doesn't know where it will go next, but that's okay. Steve will keep putting one foot in front of the other and trust his experience. A recent study by Where2Go found that 88% of consumers prefer to buy from brands that offer sustainable shipping solutions. Where2Go's 100% carbon offset shipping network recently won the Green Supply Chain Award for making both faster shipping and sustainable shipping possible together. To learn more about Where2Go's sustainable shipping solution, visit where2go.com and set up a consultation. Once again, that's W-A-R-E, the number two, G-O.com. Where to Go is a UPS company, and we want to say thank you again to UPS for sponsoring this season of The Journey.